You're listening to the Pilot Photog Podcast. I'm your host, Juan, also known as Tog. Let's listen to the story of the pilot who's gone from flying airliners to temporarily flying fighter jets from his basement. Today, we're talking to airline pilot turned streamer, Breedlejuice. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Sean, also known as Breedlejuice, who is an airline pilot who flies the A320 and is also a professional Twitch streamer. Hello, Sean. How's it going, Tog? Hey, Sean. Thanks for joining us. You actually are very involved in the aviation world. Aside from flying the A320, your Twitch stream is very focused on things like DCS and just flying other types of aircraft. And I feel like you really help broaden the scope of aviation for a lot of people. So can you share with us basically how you got into aviation? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, growing up, um, my my father was an airline pilot, uh, retired a few years ago. But, uh, you know, aviation was always kind of around, I guess, you know, having someone in my immediate family who flew. And I always thought it was a really, really cool job. It was something that I, you know, when when you asked me as a kid, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'd always say pilot, you know, there was nothing else that I could see myself doing. Anyway, fast forward into my teens, you know, I'm in high school and September 11th happens and the airline industry was at that point, it was actually quite similar to what it is now at an all time low. And it just looked like the prospects were kind of grim. You know, at that point, being a teenager, I was still definitely into aviation. Um, I was in Air Cadets and all that, which uh, that's that's the Canadian um, Royal Canadian Air Cadets which I guess in the States, that's similar to like Civil Air Patrol. Yeah, I would, I would say so. Yep. So I was quite active in that. And then, um, yeah, 9-11 happened. Uh, there was a major downturn. And um, I don't know, I guess at that point, I was, you know, I decided to maybe look at something else. And I was always into, um, I was definitely into music, uh, almost as much as aviation. And I was into, uh, you know, kind of dramatic arts and performing. And I actually looked at radio broadcasting as kind of a cool, a cool possible career path that I could do for a little bit. So when I graduated high school, I took a few years off, uh, you know, worked and saved money. And then I ended up going to college uh, for radio broadcasting. I did that for, that was a two-year program. And then I ended up getting a job right out of college uh, for a few radio stations here in Toronto. And um, I did pretty well in that industry. You know, I got promoted. And next thing you know, I'd spent six years in radio and thinking, man, if I want to get into aviation, (laughs) I probably shouldn't waste any more time. But the cool thing is, is that when I was coming to that realization, uh, the airline that uh, I fly for now introduced a cadet program um, with a smaller airline that I actually used to fly for. And it was a partnership between those two airlines where they would select people who were interested in aviation, ideally people who were just graduating high school. So at this point, I was already 28 years old and kind of too old for what they were targeting this program for. But basically, if you got selected, you would go down to Florida and you would spend one year getting um, your commercial multi-engine IFR pilot's license. And you would come back to Canada and fly uh, for the small airline flying the Beechcraft 1900. So I applied, didn't think that I would get in, but I thought, you know what, this is a great opportunity, especially for someone who wants to get into the industry maybe a little bit later than most, uh, because you kind of fast track your way to that first uh, airline pilot job. 
that's a lot of ratings you get in one year as well, right? That's yeah, crazy. it was. I mean, this was, it wasn't a job, but it kind of, you know, this is all I did for one year was just study aviation, go up flying. And um, yeah, most, most, most of the people, it takes them a few years to get all of this uh, training done. And um, my classmates and I, we all did it in uh, 11 months, which was, uh, you know, a little bit of a blur at times. There's <laughs> a lot of, uh, a lot of information. Uh, we call it drinking from the fire hose. Anyway, we uh, we all moved back and uh, flew for this uh, small airline for four years, and then um, uh, all got uh, employment uh, flying for a major carrier in Canada. Nice. So you went basically from flight school to the regionals to the major. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So this then it was the first time that they'd ever tried uh, this uh, this program, and they did it for two years, and then unfortunately. Um, you know, management changed. They wanted to go in another direction. And that was the last time anything like that was offered. So really, really lucky to be able to, uh, you know, get that opportunity. Like 20 people basically went through that program. So yeah, I mean, that's there's opportunity you take it, right? I mean, that definitely speaks to that. And that was a a two-year window and you couldn't have known at the time that that's all the program would run. So it was a good thing that you applied when you did. Yeah. Well, the uh, the idea was, I think, that they were going to just keep running it, but um, you know, they they decided to halt it even before um, you know, even before COVID was a thing. So I guess um, you know, you know, I'm not really sure why uh, why it doesn't exist anymore. But in a lot of other countries, that is kind of the norm now. Um, if you look at Europe, um, I, I think even in the states, uh, at least for a while, I know that they were doing uh, similar kind of programs to meet that huge demand for pilots, right? And um, yeah. I, I, I imagine it might be on halt now. I'm not 100% sure. I know that right before COVID basically hit, there was a demand, a, a big demand for, for pilots. And there was a pilot shortage that everybody was talking about. And unfortunately, with you know recent events and how things have gone down, that I don't think is the case any longer. But you know, aviation, if, you, if you've been around it long enough, and, and you certainly have through your father and as well as yourself, you know that it's very cyclical, right? It's, there's, it's yeah. boom and bust almost. And you can't get too discouraged when it's a slow time because the uptake will happen again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in my father's career, I don't think, um, I mean, 9-11 was, you know, he was still well into uh, his career when uh, when that happened. Uh, he was lucky to not be laid off. But I mean, yeah, the, you're, you're absolutely right. It's very cyclical. It is up and down. You know, we haven't really seen something to the equivalent of what's happening now. But that being said, once this is all done with, I think there's going to be a massive boom. And that's what, uh, that's a lot, what a lot of people in the industry are, are forecasting. Yeah. Um, so it's not all doom and gloom. It just seems like that uh, now, but it looks like uh, there will be a quite, quite a huge bounce back. So, yeah, I certainly yeah. hope so. You know, you, you basically fly the Airbus uh, A320. Can you share with us what it's like to, to fly a large passenger airline? Yeah. So um, the, the one thing is interesting about flying something like that is it's not so much that you fly it more that you program it. Um, essentially, and you know, the A320, especially, it, it's kind of like a big computer, right? So when you get to the aircraft, generally you arrive an hour before pushback and uh, you spend that time, you know, performing your checks like you would any other aircraft. And then, um, you know, you do your walk around just like you would any other aircraft. And then, um, then comes what we call the programming. And basically you have your flight plan, which is either paper or 
I, you know, you can get it delivered right to your iPad now because <laughs> technology is great. Yeah. Um, flight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, we, the, the airline uses uh Jep FD, but it's very similar to for flight. And in fact, they, uh, they purchased for flight and have included a lot of the features actually, uh, which is great. Cause I was a big fan of for flight. We used it at the old airline. Yeah. For flight's great. I, I use it whenever I oh, fly. Yeah. And, yeah it's, you know, it's, it's invaluable. Sure. Um, so that's, that's Jepson, right? Or yeah. Yeah. So that is the Jepson app. Yeah. yeah. So, so Jep FD, um, but basically, yeah. So we, um, you know, the captain and myself, uh, will go through the flight plan. We'll discuss, um, generally, actually, we would have discussed anything pertinent on the, uh, you know, before we even got into the airplane. Generally, we'll meet in the flight planning room before that all, uh, goes, you know, takes place. But, um, yeah, we get uh, into the programming and, uh, we input all the, uh, waypoints and the, uh, cruising speeds and cruising altitudes and the wind data. We put input all of that into the airplane and that, uh, basically once, uh, we taxi to the runway and take off, uh, in the airline world, the autopilot is engaged, uh, shortly after takeoff or, you know, if it's a nice day and I want to, uh, you know, practice my hand flying skill, I'll generally hand fly it up to 10,000 feet, but, um, at some point you engage the autopilot and basically you are using the autopilot for most of the flight, which is a lot different than, you know, flying a small plane or even, you know, the Beechcraft 1900 that I flew. I mean, that was all hand flying as well. So we almost think of ourselves in the airline world, at least some of us is not so much a pilot, but more of a, a systems programmer in a way. And um, just handling, you know, automation uh, on an aircraft like that, it's a lot more advanced than, what I had seen before, you know, coming off of a beach 1900 or even before that, a, you know, a Piper Seminole, right? It was uh, at the beginning, it was quite a bit uh, to, you know, wrap my head around because, um, you know, there's all these different modes of automation and uh, there's all these acceptable ways to use that automation, you know, um, and levels of automation as well uh, that, you know, I had to kind of wrap my head around and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a lot at the beginning. And then once you get used to it, it it's fine. But, um, yeah, it, it's a very, very different in some ways to flying, you know, your, um, your Cessnas or your Pipers. Um, and in terms of the Airbus itself, it's a fly by wire. So it almost, it doesn't even really feel like an airplane. It almost feels like a video game. It, it actually kind of feels like DCS, <laughs> which is kind of funny. <laughs> Um, that is cool. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of DCS pilots would like to hear that as oh, well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> if you can uh, if you can fly the F16, you'll you'll be right at home in the A320. Uh you just can't nice. roll it as well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's awesome. Um and and so just you know, when you're flying the, the A320, what's your favorite phase of flight? Um that's a good question. Um I mean, I, I always like it when it's a really nice day and, uh, you know, there's not a lot of traffic around and I do like hand flying it, um, on the, um, on the departure. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, I wouldn't say there's a particular phase I like. It's just more, you know, where I I'm flying to, there's different places that I like to fly to more than others. And, uh, you know, especially if you're flying with someone, um, I mean, it's a small world, you, you know, the airline I fly for, it's relatively big, but you know, you generally, after a while, you start to know the people that you're flying with really well. Right. Um, you you know, you're sitting beside this person in a relatively small area for hours and hours and hours at a time. So if you, um, if you fly with someone on say like a four day pairing, 
by the end of it, you know all about this person. You know where they grew up. You know what they, you know, what kind of car they drive. You know how long they've been married for. You know how many kids they have and when, you know, where they all go to school. Like it's, you really, really make a lot of friends and you get to know people really fast. So what I like is, you know, if I know someone and I'm flying with them again, then it's, you know, you're flying with your friend and, you know, the, yeah. it's great, you know, just hanging out and cruise and, you know, seeing the world with someone, you know, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And it's one part of the job that, uh, you know, I, I definitely miss, but um, looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing that all again. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that, that's got to be that's got to be amazing. And, and, you know, you've got the best view in the airplane by far. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. If you, uh, you know, I, I'm I've never been like a, uh, a huge airplane spotter. You know, I, I, I used to do a little bit, but I love I love that part of the job, you know, getting up and close personal and seeing, um, you know, going all over and seeing some interesting aircraft that you might not normally see. You know, one, one thing I love about flying in the States is there's a lot more military aviation mm-hmm. and, you know, just like you, I'm a pretty big fan of uh, military aviation. So it's really cool to see that, uh, you know, over there or, you know, going to places like Cuba and seeing Russian aircraft, which you don't really see in North America, you know, they right. just, um, Havana, for example, like they just have this tarmac with just all these old uh, Russian aircraft and they're, you know, they're kind of in a state of uh, dilapidation, but it's kind of cool just, you know, it's almost like a little museum that you taxi by you know, I guess they use them for, you know, maintenance training and stuff like that. But yeah, that is definitely the best part of the job or, you know, flying over somewhere really cool, flying over, you know, a place like New York City and you look down at Manhattan and you can see everything, you know, on a clear day, like you can't beat it. Yeah. 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 That is awesome. You did mention uh, DCS. So for those that are listening and don't know, DCS is Digital Combat Simulator. It's a a very detailed flight simulator made by a company called Eagle Dynamics, and it's gotten worldwide renown, basically. And it's widely considered the most realistic military combat flight sim out there. And of course, Sean, you you stream as Beetlejuice on Twitch. Can you tell us how you got into DCS and a little bit about your streaming? Yeah, I got into DCS uh, about three years ago. I was playing with a bunch of other guys uh, from work who were uh, also pilots. And um, we got into it together. We'd been playing it for, you know, once a week, maybe for a few years at a time. And, you know, every now and then taking a break here and there. But uh, generally three years. Yeah. Once the uh, pandemic hit, we all realized, hey, we're going to have a lot more time for uh, DCS, which is, you know, that's cool. And um, I didn't really know too much about streaming. Um, I didn't really watch streams or anything like that. But um, I figured, uh, you know, actually, there was a guy that I went to high school with and I just saw on Instagram that he started streaming and I just was like, hmm. And I looked into it and I thought, hey, this is kind of cool. And I watched some DCS streams and some flight sim streams. And I thought, you know what, I could, I could probably do this. And uh, that's how I got into it, you know, not knowing anything about streaming, just um, deciding to, you know, I had a really cool uh, DCS rig that I've put a lot of work into and thought maybe people would like to see that, you know, it's, you know, people coming over to the house and be like, wow, this is really impressive. This is cool. So I thought, oh, maybe I can share that. And yeah, it ended up um, just kind of seeing where it was going to go a little bit of an experiment. And um, it's been, I want to say about eight months and it's, um, yeah, it's a pretty uh, pretty immersive hobby, that's for sure. Yeah, um, it's definitely not something that you'd want to do. At least streaming DCS, for example, like it's not really something you'd want to do for an income. It's a little bit of a niche within a niche. 
But if you go into it thinking, hey, I'm just going to, you know, I don't want to be the next uh, ninja or anything like that. I just want to have some fun. Then it's a, right. it's a great way to, uh, it's a great way to have fun. And I've met a lot of really, really cool people, you know, through this, uh, yourself included there once. So that's right. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a great niche and that's a great point. Do it because you love it. And, you know, I think all of us that play DCS and engage, you know, in, in basically in the flight sim community, we do it because we love it. Um, DCS is very detailed and very complicated. And, and I, I half chuckle because I wish I had more time to play it. But to your point, it really is something you have to do at least once a week to keep your proficiency and, and your competency uh, going. You actually, I, what I like about your stream is that you do a lot of themed uh, stream. So I know one of the ones you do is Whirly Bird Wednesday. So it's yep. helicopter centric. Um, talk about kind of some of the things you do. You also do an air race um, or you, you've hosted an air race. So talk about a few of the events and, and themes that you do on your on your stream. Yeah, sure. So um, I do kind of like to be a little bit uh, different. Um, you know, there's a lot of streams that might just purely focus on uh, air to air combat. And um, and there, that's cool. I mean, that's, you know, we all like that, right? That's why we're playing uh, this. But I figured that I'm going to try to go after stuff that maybe people aren't doing, you know, or stuff that might not be super represented. And I also really like alliteration. So I was like, hey, Wednesday, Whirly Bird Wednesday, I could fly helicopters. And that, <laughs> that's just how that started. And like, I don't know, people uh, seem to respond to it. And, you know, we were doing helicopter dogfights. We did one, you know, it's Wednesday today. So we did one a few hours ago. Um, and that's just something that just kind of stuck. So every Wednesday I do fly helicopters. Um, and to be honest, flying helicopters is one of my favorite things to do in DCS. You know, I used to joke that I hated helicopters and helicopters are ugly. And the only reason they fly is because the earth repels them, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I actually have found that, you know, doing, you know, flying helicopters on Wednesday and that being a regular thing that it's become one of my favorite things in DCS. You know, especially uh, flying them in VR, like there's that experience is it's hard to top. And, um, you know, one of the best things about the simulator for sure. So, yeah, Whirly Bird Wednesdays is definitely a kind of a cornerstone program of the stream. But, yeah, the other thing uh, we've been doing um, through, you know, our mutual friend Dylan um, over at BVR, uh, Beyond Visual Range, He's a uh, really, really uh, interesting uh, character who's doing all sorts of really cool, um, you know, merchandise and, um, you know, artistic uh, celebrations of aviation. And yep. um, I reached out to him last summer, you know, saying, hey, I'm a small streamer, uh, you know, but if there's anything that I can do with the stream to, you know, help you promote BVR, I would love to. And you know, we uh, we noodled back and forth and thought, hey, maybe in the winter we could start doing, um, you know, a kind of um, a race, like a DCS race program, something kind of along the lines of maybe the Reno air races, but with our own little spin on it, you know, and our own little kind of cool, but yet irreverent twist. You know, that's a big kind of thing with my stream is I don't, you know, aviation can be like a serious thing, but I also really like to have fun. Like I'm a bit of a goof and... Um, you know, a lot of the uh, other DCS streams, uh, not a lot of them, but there's quite a few that are kind of serious, you know, and I find the airline streams tend to kind of sway towards more like serious and, right. you know, simulation based. And I just like to have fun, you know, mm -hmm. and if you learn something by watching my stream about aviation, hey, that's a bonus. But um, 
Anyway, yeah, so Dylan and I uh, started talking and we've been working on this thing called the BVR Air Derby. And what that is, is um, we use the Nevada map and Dylan being very artistic, he's made a lot of really cool custom structures. Uh, so we, he's made uh, pylons. Um, he's made a giant uh, blimp, um, both with Breedle Juice and Pilot Photog on there. I don't know if you've seen that yet. Yeah, I have. That's really yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's made some very cool signs. And he's basically put his spin on uh, DCS. And um, so we've released that as a mod that you install and you can race on our course that uses custom stri- uh, scripting. You know, it, um, it keeps track of uh, your times. And um, we basically have people race on our course. And uh, we're just about to start our actual season where we'll give away prizes. And um, for me, on my end, being the person broadcasting it, I'm trying to uh, you know learn new ways of broadcasting a Twitch event. And while you know similar kind of events, like there's one called Satal that is like... Um, a uh, kind of like a DCS, like air combat tournament. From what I understand, that's all pre-recorded and then they air it afterwards. Whereas we're doing everything live and, um, which is, uh, it's pretty interesting. And in, in my opinion, I don't think anybody's really done anything like this. So it's kind of cool to, uh, you know, get a bunch of creative people together and, you know, come up with some really, really cool stuff. Um, you know, I've got my buddy, uh, Craig, who he's, uh, he's a pilot, but he also worked, uh, in radio and, um, you know, he's really good with video editing. So we've included him as well. And some, uh, you know, we've been, uh, it's just really neat to see a bunch of creative minds come together, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a very cool collaborative project. Um, I'll leave a link in the show notes, uh, both to your Twitch, you know, stream and as well as the races. When do you hold the races? Who can join and when is the next one? Okay, that's a good question. Um, so um, the races to have, you know, to be able to participate, you need DCS. Um, you basically you don't have to be Chuck Yeager, but you do have to be able to somewhat be able to fly the uh, TF fifty one, which is uh, free. That does come with DCS when you download it. Um, generally, at the at the moment, uh, we do hold them on Sundays at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, which uh, that's 1900 Zulu time. And uh, the next one, D- Dylan and I are working on it, uh, coming up with a, a date. But most likely today is the, give me a second here. I would imagine that the uh, next one will be March 6th, but... Um, we still there's still a few things we want to uh, iron out before we start the season. Okay, and how long does the season normally run? This will be our first season, but we're planning four races, and then um, after the end of uh, the fourth race, uh, we'll give away the prizes accordingly based on um, how all of our racers have ranked. Awesome! Yeah, that's really really cool. Yeah. So Whirly Bird Wednesdays, and then racing on Sundays. Yep, BVR Air Derby. There you go, BVR Air Derby on Sundays and the occasional other stream, right? Because I've seen you do stuff with like F-18s and and other aircraft besides the helicopters. Yep. Um, yeah, so generally, you know, I, I like to uh, stream w- with other people as well. And um, recently uh, on Sunday, I did my first stream with the uh, JF-17 because I recently got that module and I think it's pretty cool. Uh, not too many people have it or know too much about it. So um, there's been some uh, intrigue and, in, you know, seeing what that's all about. Cause it's like a Pakistani uh, Chinese collaborative uh, fighter. 
So right. it's kind of cool to see, you know, from the other side, right? A lot of people, you know, when they get into DCS, they'll probably skew towards, uh, you know, the uh, U.S. fighters. Um, and I also like to uh, fly the Cold War stuff quite a bit. Um, I was really flying the MiG-21, uh, which is a very, very cool module, but it's also very punishing. Um you know, when you're flying the MiG-21, like you're not only fighting, <laughs> you're not only fighting the enemy, but you're also kind of fighting the plane at the same time too. It's uh, it's quite a challenge, you know, to to master. So I always kind of joke that I'm on this big journey to become a MiG master. And uh, <laughs> while it may not be uh, going too, too well at the moment, um, it's it still is a lot of fun. Yeah. And then the odd time I will uh, do uh, airliner streams as well in X-Plane. And uh, generally when I do those, I, um, I'll have uh, a Discord chat open with a couple of my uh, buddies who I uh, fly the Airbus with in real life who are also, uh, you know, have a really good sense of humor and uh, we have a lot of fun. And it's kind of funny, um, you know, I know a lot about DCS. I've been flying it for years. I'm really comfortable using that sim, but flying X-Plane, you know, I don't really know too much about that sim and generally something will go awry and I'll have no idea. Whereas, you know, I can fly the plane in real life, but flying it on my computer is very... What's the key binding? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I was was in cruise and I hit uh, my mouse and the mouse took control of the plane. Then all of a sudden it rolled into a spiral dive and I was like, why? What? Why is it doing this? And, you know, clearly that wouldn't happen in real life, but it it ended up being, uh, uh, you know, a fun stream anyway. But... Yeah, it makes it interesting. Getting back to the MiG-21 real quick. Yeah, th- those, I always imagine those short wings. I mean, if you're not going, you know, 300 knots, you're probably in trouble in that aircraft. That's oh, just, God, yeah, yeah. yeah yes. You need speed all the time. <laughs> all the time, all the time. Don't ever slow down. Um, yeah, it really, really likes to go fast, for sure. Those uh, those little wings are working overtime all the time. But uh, but yeah, that's what makes it fun, right? And uh, yeah. The uh, the immersion, particularly in that module alone, it's uh, you know the the noises and stuff. They did a great job at it, and um, you know the the blue um, you know the blue instrument panel and yeah. the sounds and everything. Um, I, I don't know if you have it, but it's it's definitely a, a cool module to get if you want an experience. I don't know. have the yeah. I have the flaming cliffs, which I think came with the SU twenty seven, and it's yeah. a low fidelity model, so it's a very yeah. simplified version. But it's got that you know, that Russian, Russian blue cockpit. And you yeah. actually made me aware of, I think one of the very first streams I, I watched of yours, you made me aware of that, that clock that's in all the uh, Russian aircraft. Yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, talk a little bit about that. That just intrigued me so much. I actually went on eBay and try, try to get one um, after, after that stream that I watched with you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to get one too right now. Um, they are a little bit pricey, but yeah, that clock is, uh, that's the standard Russian clock. And that's been, that's in everything, you know, whether it be, um, <laughs> whether it be a, you know, a little AN2 biplane or the AN225, the biggest plane in the world, like that's, uh, the same it, clock, <laughs> the, the ubiquitous, uh, Russian clock. Um, actually, yeah. And the, and, and just in all the other, uh, you know, all the fighter jets as well. I knew a guy who flew in the Indian air force and he was telling me like that clock is great. Cause it's just. You know, it's it's familiar. It's the one thing that's familiar in all the different planes that you fly. I haven't got one yet, but I'm hoping that I can uh, get one on eBay. You know, I'm waiting for the price to go down a little bit because I do have a little collection of uh, real life uh, airplane instruments. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Is that have you ever showcased that on the stream? If you have, I might have missed it. You know what? No, I I haven't, and I should. I've got a couple of things out of a DC nine simulator, and then for Christmas, uh, Mrs. Breedle Juice. 
being the great woman that she is, uh, <laughs> got me a uh, retired TCAS unit out of a 767. Oh, nice. Yeah, at, a, uh, at an airline uh, auction that uh, was going towards uh, the airline that I work for. They had an auction for their uh, charity and uh, all the proceeds went uh, to their charity, which is pretty cool. That is very cool. Yeah, yeah. I think that'd be, a, that'd be a cool addition. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people like to see, you know, actual hardware that's, that's come out of airplanes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. As far, we, we've kind of talked a lot about DCS, actually. In your opinion, and, and based on what you've flown and other products that you've talked to, how realistic is the simulator? Um, you know what? That's a good point. Um, I haven't, um, I'm trying to think. So what, one thing that seems to be a resounding praise are the, uh, the helicopter modules. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, uh, you know, the UH one and the MI eight in particular seem to, uh, you know, get a lot of praise for being the most, uh, realistic helicopter simulations period. So, you know, the helicopter, I mean, when we talk about Hilo Sims, I mean, that is a niche within a niche within a niche, right? There's, <laughs> yeah. there's really, really not too many um, Hilo Sims out there. Right. Um, but I, yeah, I, I time and time again, I've heard that um, DCS does helicopters better than anybody else. I've heard really good things about the uh, flight model as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it, I think that DCS just has this feeling of realism that, you know, I don't really see even when I'm flying, let's say, you know, Microsoft Flight Simulator or X-Plane. Um, everything seems a little arcadey in uh, comparison. Right. But, you know, that, that's, that being said, you, with, um, with X-Plane and I think soon Microsoft Flight Simulator, there's, there's a lot of mods too, right? and a, a really, really robust uh, modding and developing community behind those sims that, you know, can basically get you the simulation experience that you're looking for. Whereas DCS, it's kind of a smaller community. And, uh, you know, while there are mods available, it's, uh, you know, it's not as, um, it's not as big, right? So, yeah. Um, but um, I haven't talked to too many, I, I've talked to fighter pilots, but none of them have uh, played DCS. So, um, I've had a few over at my house and I've wanted to, you know, sh- sh- say, Hey, sit here and <laughs> yeah. let me know, like, would, is, is this F-18? Is this realistic? But, um, I've showed them pictures and stuff like that. And, you know, they're blown away by how crazy, you know, how, how realistic everything looks, but yeah, I can't really say for sure. Um, you know, what, uh, people with actual fighter jet time think of it other than what, you know, you and I read on, um, Hoggett and, and right. things like that. You know, I know that like when they did the uh, F-14, for example, they had a real fighter pilots involved in the development. And I imagine that, you know, the F-14 is another good example. Like I imagine that that's probably how it flies. Like it just, it feels realistic to me. Yeah. Yeah. I've got that module and I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, it's it's what you think an early fourth generation jet because they've, they've modeled the A and the B model, excuse me, A and B versions at this point. So yeah, I believe that that's what it, you know, would feel like. Interestingly, I have a buddy who's a who's a 767 captain, and he owns a Christian Eagle. So he flies out on the weekends or when he's you know not not flying for the airlines. And he has DCS, and I I don't know why, but they made him a, a Christian Eagle module. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he says it's exact. <laughs> okay, okay, great. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he, yeah. So that that was very encouraging for me. I was like, I don't know about the other stuff, but. He says he actually will practice uh, routines in that before he goes and flies it for real in, in his eagle. So, 
Oh, that's that's very cool. Yeah, I was very impressed by that. And obviously, you're not getting the G forces. You know, you're not getting the the sensation of movement. But procedurally, it's the same. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and if I had the Christian Eagle, you know, I would definitely get that module. Um, yeah. A couple one time, my buddies were looking at uh, trying to get a bunch of us together and buy. There in Canada, there was a Yak fifty two for sale, and it was relatively cheap. And the guys are saying, listen, like, you know, the, we can use the module and DCS to train and, you know, we'd have this Yak-52. And then I reminded them that it has a giant Soviet era radial engine and that, <laughs> yep. ga- you know, that aviation gas is <laughs> what is, it's like $2 a liter in, in Canada. And wow, then and yeah. not only that, and, you know, the, uh, the cost of oil, I was like, look at how much oil it burns an hour. And then I kind of, you know, I didn't want to be, you know, Mr. No Fun, but I kind of shot that idea down pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. The, the cost of airplane ownership, the, the least expensive is the actual purchase price. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. the main, especially in a radio, I mean, radio's just sitting there with leak oil. So yeah. Yeah. That ain't fun. Yak 54s, right? Is that the type? Uh, I think the Yak 52, or, there might be a 54. 52. But yeah, yeah. no, I, I probably messed up the number designation. But yeah, the, the Yak 52s, the the airstrip I learned how to fly out of, the, there was a guy that had one. Really? And they, those things, yeah, yeah. I, I learned how to fly out of a grass strip in, in South Florida. And this guy, you know, private owner just had one and he'd, he'd take the thing up all the time. And they sit so tall off the ground. Yeah. You know, and, and then the propeller spins to us the opposite way. So, you know, we're always like right rudder on takeoff. You know, he would always say opposite rudder because when you're in that thing, if you put right rudder, you're going to, you're going <laughs> to, you know, make a hard right turn and probably tear the landing gear up. Yeah. So opposite rudder uh, is, is what he would always say. But yeah, those planes always intrigue me and they're fully aerobatic. I mean, they're military yeah. trainers, so you can pretty much do almost any maneuver in them. Yeah. 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 For sure. Fun so airplane. It was tempting. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. But yeah, you were wise because if you look at not just the, the fuel, but the oil, uh, the maintenance costs, the, the availability of parts and everything, by the time you're done, you've probably paid the purchase price of the airplane in the first year alone. In maintenance. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And good luck getting parts for that thing, too. Maybe, right. you know, maybe if you live in Minsk, it would be easy, right. but it's a little different when you're in southern Ontario. <laughs> That's right. Or you, you have to have a machine shop to basically make stuff. Um, yeah. And then at that point, the whole thing was experimental. Um, okay, that was <laughs> that was a, a quick mini tangent. What advice can you give young people who want to get into aviation as a career? Yeah, so um, I, I think the uh, one thing you know, and and maybe when I was younger, you know, I thought that you know, yeah, I uh, even though I wanted to be a pilot, there was a time in my life where I thought I couldn't because you know I didn't do too well at math in high school, and, and you know, and things like that, and. I, I figure, you know, I just wish I, um, I guess the, the number one thing, and this is cliche, but it's so true. And it, you know, I definitely learned it when I was learning to fly was that attitude is everything. And that, that is definitely the most important lesson that I could, you know, impart on anybody, um, that, you know, if you are learning to fly, you know, sometimes, um, things might not go your way. Um, you know, you might do a lesson where you thought that you didn't do so well, you know, but the, the trick is to just not be hard on yourself and to keep going with it. And, um, if, if you haven't even started to fly yet and you're thinking about it, try to learn or try to learn as much as you can, but also to network. Um, it's a very, very small community 
it's very small in Canada and it's still relatively small in the States too, right? Oh, yeah. The more people you know in the industry, the better idea you have of what it's all about and what it's like, because it might not be what you thought. There are, you know, while it might seem like a glamorous job, there are days where it is downright not glamorous at all. So just make sure that if you do want to get into it, try to find out as much as you can. Try to meet as many people who are involved in the industry as you can. And, uh, you know, figure out why, you know, why do you want to be an airline pilot? Because that's important too. You know, a lot of people might get into it for the wrong reasons. They might get into it thinking it's a glamorous job, or they might get into it thinking that, oh, I'm going to, you know, pilots make a lot of money. I'm going to, you know, make a lot of money. And I mean, you, you can, but for a long time, you definitely won't, especially getting into it after the pandemic. I imagine that, you know, the movement won't be what it'll be, you know, what it was like before, right? So you right. might have to fly, you know, at a regional for years and years and years. And regionals are famous for not paying that much. But if you get into it thinking, well, I just love aviation. I'm super passionate about it. And I really can't see myself doing anything else. Then, you know, to me, that's the best, uh, that's the best excuse to get into it. So just gotta, you just gotta, you know, think about it and um, try to learn as much as you can. That would be, that'd be my advice for sure. Well, that is great advice. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no worries. So flying the Airbus A320, there are basically two types of major airline manufacturers today. There's Airbus and there's Boeing. Can you talk about the differences between the two and the differences between the pilots to some extent? Um, you know, we, we like to joke at the airline that, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a rivalry between the Airbus guys and the Boeing guys um, and gals uh, regarding, you know, what is better. And I get asked this quite, quite often. Um, and I think both, both are good. Uh, there's, there's differences between, you know, major fundamental differences between Airbus and Boeing. And uh, with Airbus, it's, uh, you know, Airbus has the side stick, Boeing has the yoke, right? And uh, I like the side stick because, you know, with the fly-by-wire control and the side stick, you know, you have that awesome Airbus uh, trade table, uh, which you don't have on a Boeing, which, you know, it sounds like a small trivial thing, but it's nice to be able to uh, eat uh, your meal, you know, on a nice little table in front of you, right? We, we say that Airbus pilots dine and Boeing pilots just eat. Boeing, though, you have the... Um, you have the yoke, which some people kind of deride as a coat hanger because, uh, you know, a lot of people think <laughs> that you don't really need it. But, uh, you know, some people like to fly the plane with an actual yoke. And, you know, it, it is um, it is nice as well. Um, you know, it's a, definitely more of a manual um, and traditional feel, you know, than the fly by wire. And, and when they brought in the side stick on the Airbus, um, you know, a lot of the pilots before were flying much, much older uh, generations of aircraft, you know, like the DC-9 and, uh, you know, the early versions of the 737. And it was quite the adjustment, you know, um, to be able to fly, you know, when you fly an Airbus with the fly-by-wire, if you, if you point the nose um, at something and you release the stick, it just will stay there, Right. And, uh, you know, a normal plane flying with a yoke, you know, you'd be trimming that out and, um, you know, the Airbus trims itself. So it's, it's, it is almost like you're flying a video game. And uh, some people, you know, myself included, you know, being from that generation that grew up on video games, you know, it's just very natural, you know, but I think for the older generation, it was a little bit of an adjustment. Um, the one big Airbus versus Boeing thing uh, as well is the thrust levers. So Airbus, 
We call them the auto thrust levers. You basically arm the auto thrust and put the levers in one spot and they stay there until you land when the uh, plane says retard <laughs> in that little French voice. And then you bring the uh, thrust levers back to idle and land the aircraft um, with a Boeing and um, other, you know, McDonnell Douglas and planes of that vintage. Um, generally, when you arm it, they call it auto throttle because it's a throttle lever. And um, basically, you'll arm the auto throttle, but the throttles will still move by themselves. And um, the older guys uh, particularly like that because they can look at the throttle and see where, you know, what the engines are doing. And they, they just think that's more intuitive than the, you know, auto thrust, you know, thrust lever method where you basically have to look at the engine readouts to see what the thrust is doing. But uh, the older generation seems to like that auto throttle because you can just have that instant visual cue. It's just a tomato, tomato, right? You know, everybody's yeah. different. Generally, too, I think, you know, my first jet was an Airbus. So maybe I'll be partial, you know, to Airbus from now on because I'll just be, that'll be my benchmark and I'll compare everything to it. I'm not sure. Um, it looks like my next plane is actually going to be the 767. Yeah. Nice. So I'm looking forward to that because that's a, you know, I've always loved that aircraft. You know, that's something that when I was a kid, my, my dad flew that and, you know, riding up uh, with him in the flight deck, you know, it was always very, very cool. So I've always kind of been uh, very interested in that aircraft and to be able to have the opportunity to fly that and finally, you know, see what's better Airbus or Boeing. I can finally you know, <laughs> make a, make an informed uh, decision about that. You know what, honestly, though, as, as long as I'm flying and, you know, I'm being treated well and I'm, you know, uh, and, you know, the flying is good. It doesn't really matter. You know, they're both uh, both Airbus, both Boeing, you know, they, they make uh, great aircraft. So I'll be happy yeah. to fly whatever is well-maintained and, uh, you know, maybe going to cool places. You know, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. No, I always say it doesn't matter what you fly, but that you fly. Absolutely. Flying is flying. I mean, of course, you know, an Airbus is way cooler than a 172 or anything like that, but you know, it, it's, it's flying. Right. And, um, and to be fair, you know, when you were talking about the whole Airbus and the automation thing, you started off on 172s, Pipers, you know, um, you mentioned that Beechcraft earlier. So you have flown the, the, let's call it analog manual. Yeah. You have to trim everything, turn every knob yourself kind of flying, you know, VOR navigation, all, all that stuff, probably even DMEs. Um, you know, ADFs, the the kind of stuff that goes way, way, way back. It's not just all GPS and automation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, we call the, in, in the uh, aviation world, you know, a lot of people call the analog steam gauges. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm impartial to the steam gauges, you know, especially on the uh, Beach 1900 where I had a lot of my time, you know, that's, uh, that's my world. That's what I was really comfortable with. And uh, I loved it. So it was interesting to go to like, you know, the conversely, the glass cockpit that you see on the uh, Airbus. And and that's actually becoming the norm. You know, I think the, the steam gauge era is uh, coming to a close. It is. It is. Um, yeah. For the veteran, for the most part, I mean, there, there are a lot heavier instruments. There's a lot yeah. more workload you're trying to scan all the all the different instruments at the same time yeah um but there will i i feel like there'll always be you know a community that preserves the older not necessarily airlines because they're way too big to independently own but you know the older aircraft that that have all the dials and um you know the analog instruments yeah yeah for sure sean thank you so much you know for your time today um i learned a few things about you that i didn't know and i hope that people listening to this gain some understanding about DCS and, and the airline world and, and kind of 
if they're looking to get into aviation, what it takes or what they should do. I'll leave show notes in the description, uh, how people can find you on social media and follow you and watch your stream. And um, if you wouldn't mind for the audience, could you give us an airline uh, briefing as we depart the episode? Yeah, sure. Sounds good. Hey, we're on our final descent, right? So let me just... uh... Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, this is your first officer speaking. Just like to thank you for uh, tuning in for the podcast today. We're on our final approach uh, to our destination. So sit back, relax, and uh, thank you for flying the friendly skies and hope to see you again soon. Thank you very much. Look, I even did the effect for you. That was, <laughs> I had to mute my mic because I started laughing. That was awesome. Oh, man. That that, that's crazy. kind of a, uh, that's kind of, the, that's a regular thing on this stream. If uh, you can get mm-hmm. these like channel points that you get just for watching and you can make me do fun things. So one of them is uh, make me do a PA and I'll just do a PA, which is kind of funny <laughs> if you're flying like a helicopter into battle. And, right. You know, another one is I have this old uh, Canadian Air Force flight suit that I used as a Halloween costume one year and I just held on to because why not? And um, yeah, I yeah. made a joke like that, you know, you could get me to wear that with the channel points. And now that's a regular thing. And even <laughs> even much to my like chagrin, like, you you know, a lot of times I'm just like sitting down. I don't really want to get up and you know, I'm, right. I'm in the moment and then I'll see, you know, put on your flight suit. You know, here's the channel points. I'm like, oh, damn it. right. <laughs> but it's fun, right? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. You can also check out my YouTube channel. Just search Pilot Photog, all one word. And lastly, you can find me in any social media platform at Pilot Photog. Be well, stay safe, 